In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I've discovered that truly good presents are very often works of art, the process of a long point of observation. I once tried to get the most meaningful gift for my mother that I could, and I, I, I thought that I needed to find something that would bring her great joy. So I watched her. I watched her for a while, and I noticed how on Sundays after church, when my two sisters brought their children over to my parents' house for the afternoon, my mother would bring out a storybook and go and sit on the couch, and then the six grandchildren would fight over the most coveted spots as close to her as possible. And in moments like that, when my mother is surrounded by those children that she loves so deeply... You can see her come alive. Her face becomes radiant, and it's like she lights up like a Christmas tree. So that's how I knew what to get her. I knew to get her a really good storybook so that she could enjoy reading that to her grandchildren. But thinking about what makes her come alive makes me wonder what makes you light up like that. What makes you feel alive? In our first lesson for today, we hear Peter talking about living stones, an image that makes no sense in the natural world. I am no science whiz, but I remember that animal, vegetable, and mineral, of those three, there's one that is distinctly dead. A rock is dead. So what does Peter mean when he talks about living stones? Well, um, and how, also, he doesn't just talk about us as living stones, but he talks about us as living stones as we are in connection with Jesus Christ, who is the living stone with a capital L and a capital S. So what is it then that makes us come alive, dead rocks that we are? What makes us come alive spiritually? Well, first of all, Jesus Christ is not just the living stone, but Peter tells us that he is also the cornerstone. The cornerstone of an ancient building was the first stone put in place, very often a large stone. One such stone in Jerusalem around the day of Jesus was said to be 67 feet wide. That's a large stone. And this stone, this cornerstone, had to be cut so carefully so that it was exactly square and level. Otherwise, every other line in the building, the floor, the walls, the ceiling, would be off kilter. Finally, the cornerstone had to be made of a hard rock, an absolutely strong, solid stone. When I was first getting to know New York City, I tried to do as many of the touristy things as possible. And at one point, I took a boat tour all the way around the island of Manhattan that lasted for three hours. Could have been a recipe for boredom, but thankfully the announcer was incredibly interesting. He kept throwing out all these fun facts about the history, the geography, and the geology of the area. I had to double-check his facts because sometimes half of those are made up. But one fun fact that stuck in my brain from that tour was that the skyscrapers of the skyline, the skyscrapers in Manhattan, had to be built in parts of the island, or for cost-effective reasons, were built in those parts of the island where the bedrock came closer to the surface of the ground. 
because they had to be built on the bedrock so that they could then soar to the heights. So you see there are two different um, bursts of skyscrapers in New York City, and there's a little divot in between where the bedrock was lower under the ground. Only those buildings that are built on solid rock are able to soar safely to the heights. And so looking to the spiritual architecture that Peter describes, Jesus himself is the only foundation in this world, in all worlds, worth building on. He is the bedrock of the Christian faith. He is strong, true, level, and square. Jesus is the only person or thing in this world who is completely and infallibly trustworthy. Everything else, everyone else, is shifting sand. So this building, this building that Peter envisions, it is no everyday structure, is it? But it's a new temple, a spiritual house. And for the Israelites, the temple... The spiritual house of God was the place where they went to meet with him, where they worshipped God. And the history behind this meeting place goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where God walked with Adam in the cool of the morning. And sin in that garden disrupted the perfect fellowship between God and man. But God desires to be near his creation to be near us, even though we are disobedient. And so he gave the Israelites a way, one way, for an unholy people to stand in the presence of a holy God without being consumed or devoured uh, as judgment for their sin. God gave the Israelites the sacrificial system, which was imperfect, costly, time-consuming. It prepared them for another way, a new way, But there he gave them, he gave those Israelites building plans for a place where they might make provisional sacrifices for a time. While I wandered in the wilderness, that place was in a temporary structure, a tent or a tabernacle. And then when they were brought in to the promised land and the kingdom was established in Jerusalem, they built the temple. Solomon built the temple so that they could worship the Lord there. Now, the New Testament, though, is very clear that all of the hopes of the people of Israel, those hopes that they had set on the temple and the sacrificial system, they were now to be set on a new, more perfect temple, Jesus Christ himself. John, in his gospel, tells us that the eternal word was made flesh and dwelt among us in Jesus God has dwelt among us in a completely new and different way. In Jesus, God himself has walked on earth. Jesus even saw that his very flesh was the new temple of God. And he shows this when he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The scriptures tell us that he was talking about his own body when he made that prophecy, and that prophecy would be fulfilled in his death and then his resurrection. So the old way for a broken and lost people to find their way back into fellowship with God was through the sacrifices made in the old temple. It was an imperfect system for an imperfect people because they kept on sinning. 
But in Jesus, a new way has been paved once and for all. Because through his own death, Jesus has made the perfect sacrifice so that those who put their trust in him would be forgiven by God for any wrong that we have ever done or said or thought. Those who believe in Jesus are united to him by faith, joined like stones by mortar. We are the body of Christ, and so we together become a new temple built up a new household of God so that we might sing his praises and bear witness to his saving work. This newly paved way through Jesus, this is what makes us dead rocks that we are come alive spiritually. It is the kindness of the Lord to us in Jesus that turns this utterly utterly impossible thing, living stones, into a reality. God shows his kindness to us by making us his very own possession, his own people, even at the very moment when we we are our most unlovely selves. It is at that moment that he says, You are mine. One of my favorite children's movies is Pixar's Toy Story. There's a moment at the end of the movie when Buzz Lightyear feels depressed because he hasn't lived up to his own image of who he is or who he was meant to be. He has failed to be the intergalactic hero that he thought he was feels sort of familiar. Sometimes I get mistaken and think I'm an intergalactic hero, too. But at the moment when Buzz Lightyear is ready to give up, he looks down and he sees his foot, his own foot. And on the bottom of his own foot, he sees the name of the child that he belongs to. The child who has delighted in him just because, not because he's an intergalactic hero, which he's not. He remembers the most important aspect of who he is, that he belongs to the boy, Andy. Andy's name is written on his foot in indelible ink. And as corny as this is, God has looked at us, even in the midst of our failure, when we least deserve it. And he has called us his own possession, his own people in whom he delights, upon whom he has mercy. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we are dead in our own strength, in our own morality, when we've said something atrocious to someone we love, when the thoughts in our heads keep going to dark and destructive places, When we cheat someone out of what is rightfully theirs, even in those dark and rocky moments, especially in those dark and rocky moments, God calls to us. He calls us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. God offers us mercy and grace when justice would demand that we receive judgment and punishment. And this truth This very fact is the pure spiritual milk of the gospel, which Peter urges all Christians, new and the old hat, to drink deeply and repeatedly. We forget, and we return to our stony ways. 
But we come back here every week in this place to remember and hear again that as Christians, our names have been changed and God has called us his own through Jesus Christ. We come to the living stone. Jesus was once dead, but now he is alive, raised from the dead. He is a living stone, and through faith in him, we now belong to God, and he will not let us go. He makes us to come alive through this good news. This gospel warns our cold, hard hearts into warm and living flesh. And this grace makes this church, our church, into a living, thrumming, lively place that is paved not just with the stones that memorialize our beloved dead all around us, but really and truly with the promises that the souls of all believers will one day rise from the dead, just like Jesus, our living stone, the true cornerstone, chosen and precious. And for this we can say, thanks be to God.